Welcome to the second episode of the Think Beginning Not End podcast, powered by Vanden. I'm your host, Simon Van Leuven, and today's special guest is Gail Sloan. Now, Gail's featured on TV shows like The Project and the ABC's War on Waste, and Gail is the CEO of the Waste Management and Resource Recovery Association of Australia. Now, we caught up with Gail in Sydney. I hope you enjoy this one. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Think Beginning Not End podcast YouTube show. Super privileged to have Gail Sloan, the CEO of the Waste and Resource Recovery Association of Australia. Thank you for joining us, Gail. Oh, thanks for asking me, Simon. It's really cool. Yeah. I so, feel like a hip young kid. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, um, so, so you've been uh, well in the media lately. Um, you've done the project. You've yeah. been on the ABC's War on Waste. Yeah. Your life must have been pretty hectic over the last year, at least. Oh, last three years, it's been blur. I yeah. started here three years ago and I thought I was going to be running an office with people and members and had no idea that I'd end up in television. I'd never done public speaking in my life until I started this job three years ago. So, or, and I'd never done TV. So and, it's and amazing. Al and almost like on a weekly basis now, you, you're, you're talking somewhere, you're, yeah. Yeah, today I've done... Macquarie Bank, so investor relations. Okay. Um, I'm at a, a waste and resource recovery forum. Um, I'm doing a forum in Tasmania next week. I was in Melbourne doing councils last week. So, you know, I feel really privileged to be able to do this. You know, I, I don't think it's not every day you get the chance to go out and advocate for your industry and people that you love and the things that you love. So when do you get a chance to take a breath and all that? Oh, well, that's when I'm a mum. Yeah. <laughs> I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old and my 8-year-old thinks I just talk rubbish. So she tells all her friends <laughs> that she, my mum just talks rubbish. So, you know, that, that's my balancer and my back to reality, my two little girls. Yeah. And so, Gail, your, your journey to, to, to get to the role of CEO, you've, you've had a lot of um, experience and, and um, history in, in the industry. Yeah. Like, can you kind of just tell our audience a bit about your your journey, like professionally, where you started and to where you are now? And because one of the things I like to do for our audience is is show them a pathway of you know where you can start somewhere and get to a destination. And and you know you're you're a great example of that. Thanks. Uh, that's why we actually do women of waste events for that reason to show like how diverse industry is and how you just got to take opportunities so yeah. they're a really good showcase of that and um, i kind of feel like all the roads led to whammo which is a really interesting thing to say because you know i've jumped around a lot i've worked in local government i've worked in state government i've got a law degree i've worked in departments i've worked in parliament being advisor to ministers um i worked for 12 years as a director in councils so i wrote um tenders for collection contracts and Bad ones, I'm told, by those who won them. But anyway, I still write them. Um, and then I had children, my two girls, and then I had maternity leave. So as a mum, I went from being a director of council to a full-time mum, which was a bit interesting. Yep. And then um, I applied for a job in the paper, actually. And um, it turned out it was one of my first contractors um, at the city of Sydney, first waste recycling contractor in the city of Sydney. And he was like, you can come work for me. And it was a busy Oh, wow. So I went to Visi for three years and, and loved it. You know, um, I loved working in the private sector. I loved seeing 
genuine closed loop and reality. Yep. And I was really proud to be able to say your yellow bin comes in the front gate at Smithfield and 70% of it goes out as product, as yeah. plastic bottles and um, pizza boxes, you know. So I was able to prove that we were recycling in Australia. So it was really good. And then this job got advertised and I had no idea what I was getting myself in for. But it lets me use my policy, my legal, my advocacy, my operational, and it's just great. So, Gail, with your experience in, you know, uh, private business and then loads of experience in government, obviously helping you with your role now, do you think there's a bit of disconnect there at times? Like, or does it, or do you think we've, as, as an industry, we're functioning well, like private enterprises functioning well with government? Or I think it's really challenging because I think our industry is really complex and people don't understand that. And yeah. I think as a policy officer, someone who was a policy officer for a long time, I thought I knew everything. You know, I was very guilty of thinking I understood everything in my portfolio. And it's really hard to know everything, even if you live and breathe it all mm. the time. So I think it's really important that there's better engagement than we see and there's better listening and understanding than what we currently see. Um, I get that there's always time pressures and demands, mm. but it's really important if you're writing policy or if you're um, looking to the future of industry, you actually really take the time to understand it and make sure that what you're developing can be operationalised and can have an impact and a good impact. So, uh, look, I think it's really, we're at a time where government's listening. Uh, there's a difference between listening and being heard. Mm. And a big challenge is being heard, I think, in a yeah. good way. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know you talk a lot about the opportunity that we have right now. Like, yeah. I'm kind of the same. I think this is a great opportunity in Australia to do to do something really meaningful. What are, yeah. what are some of the things that you see, you know, that are going to become great opportunities out of, out of you know what some have deemed a crisis which you know we've had some problems but yeah. i want to talk about the opportunity so you know what are some of the things you're seeing oh, I, I just think jobs 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 yep. you know if we get this right we're going to create whole new industries around redesign and industrial design i didn't know what that was as a kid but if we start designing things differently yep. we're actually going to have less waste you know we're going to design out waste and do better with it if we actually start recycling better and which means remanufacturing in Australia, we're going to create jobs. We're going to create four times more jobs by getting this loop right than what we're doing currently. You know? yeah. So it, it is opportunity. It is opportunity to rethink the supply chain and, and sort of grow that supply chain and the demand for the recycled product. Because what gets lost in all of this that kills me is that we're dealing with natural capital and resources that basically come out of the ground yep. and that planet ain't going to last forever. So we have to get through into people's heads that plastic is fossil fuel, for example, and it's not going to last forever. But if we design the plastic well, design out soft plastics, for example, or poor plastics, we can use it over and over again. Yeah. So we actually need to start thinking from the beginning. Yeah. I get very tired thinking that it's just the waste and resource recovery sector that's going to solve this. We do not make the products that end up with us. Mm. Yeah, but we can influence and redesign better those products. And ideally, if they're designed well, they won't come near us as a sector. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's one of the things that, that we try and do a lot of work with because we get to work on both sides of this at times, like with yeah. the packaging manufacturers and helping them understand what are the, what are the downstream problems that yeah. happen when you don't design a package that has some value left in it or yeah. that it's not, not recyclable. Um, what, are, what are some of the, the gaps that you see from, from your role? Like what, are, what are some of those, those gaps that could be filled? I just think um, we've got to simplify it, right? Yeah. So, you know, packaging should be really simple. Um, I appreciate there's that constant tension between food waste and packaging design. Mm. And, and I get that's a complex conversation and carbon emissions through food waste is much worse than plastic. I completely understand that. But we are intelligent enough to solve both. 
So I think we actually need to stop pretending that every material recovery facility in the in the Australia is different. They're all the same. Yep. They're also globally the same. They do the same things. They use the same technology, optical sorts and magnets and other things to pull packaging out. You know, we don't need tools like PrEP that say it's 95% recyclable. It either is or it isn't. It's that simple. And so it needs to be single stream material because all the material recovery facility does is sort a single stream package into a single stream bale. If you're making a paper, uh, sorry, a plastic bottle with a paper label and a different plastic lid, that cannot go in three streams. Mm. There is no mystery to that. Yeah. So we actually need to work across the supply chain to really understand, put the vested interest at the door and agree we've got to solve this together. Yep. Yeah, like one I like one I, I think about, Gail, is like with the with the PET bottle, right? Yeah. So obviously we have CDS schemes that say don't crush the bottle. Yeah. But then on the labeling it says crush. And put the put the cap on it. So, like for me, sometimes I think we haven't. Like sometimes it's the chicken before the egg. But have have people really thought about how these processes and the systems work together? So, which brings me to the next topic of container deposit schemes and MRF and how these systems need to function to, together. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? There's a lot loads of talk about. You know, we're going to have six bins and all these kind of things, which I don't agree with. Um, I'm all for source separation, but I think six bins is getting a but bit... There's a reality check around this. If you think about, you know, we talk about supply changes in our business, but if you talk about the planning regime, the planning regime in a house or a multi-unit dweller is not going to put enough space in for those, dwind, yeah. those, those systems. So we actually have to understand where the rubber hits the road on this. The transport, we're not going to have six different collections in a street. So, you know, we're having a knee-jerk reaction. We have to sit back and actually look at the material supply chains and look at packaging and that stream. You know, how much is there realistically out there? Probably two and a half million of the 57 million tonnes out there. Mm. What is, how much do we demand in Australia? We only use 350,000 tonnes of recycled glass and glass at present. There's about 1.2 million tonnes out there. Are we going to take more out of curbside? Probably not, particularly mm. when you've got container deposit schemes. So I think the, the big lesson for me in all of these things is understanding that it's not a one-size-fits-all. I understand that. Yep. We do want consistency. But what's the best policy at that time for that place? So having said that, CDS in uh, South Australia, 40 years old, no curbside, completely different mindset, you know, different approach yeah. at that time. It was a fourth bin. It was basically a container deposit bin, but you weren't taking out of MRFs. New South Wales and Queensland retrofit CDS over MRFs. So they take the valuable product of, yeah. of aluminium and PET yeah. out. So there's going to be pain because you're changing models. But all these consequences, unintended consequences, need to be thought through yeah. and thought through in partnership. Yeah. yeah. That's the key. Yeah. So, you, um, so you'd also agree that we need some national alignment on all that? Like we've got, at the moment, three, three states doing something different. Well, they've got the same purpose, but the way they function is different. Western Australia is going to do another. In, do another one. Tasmania, uh, do, another. do another one. Victoria, so sort of sitting here juggling the ball. Yeah. So, like, would you like to see all those states be running the same CDS system? It's too late. So, yeah. and you know, that's the irony for me on this one. I think it was 2014, COAG ruled out a national CDS and they said leave it to the states, which was fairly typical of the federal government. Now we've got different schemes in different states, very different structures. Uh, New South Wales, uh, two level of competitive tender contracts with government. WA and Vic, WA and Queensland, very different model. 
But what we can do is we can harmonise, right? So we have the same products treated in the same way with the same registration and the same licensing and the same redemption. Mm. So, you know, there's the opportunity and that's kind of the way Europe works. The yep. EU will say, we're going to go um, zero waste, right? These, and that you sign up to the overarching, but then each country goes off and does it for themselves, which yeah. makes sense. And I think often makes sense if you think about um, Australia, it's not really fair to say that um, we should do the same thing in CBD Melbourne as far north Queensland, yeah. right? So yeah. I think what we've got to do as a nation is have a really clear vision as to where we want to go, sign up to those targets, and then let the states implement as they see fit and best for that state, yeah? Because we're also at different places of the diversion, right, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I think there's got to be that bit of variety, but within a consistent national framework. Yeah, definitely. Like some of the discussions um, that I sat in uh, a few weeks ago in Victoria was definitely the guys from regional areas saying, hey, how we function, how we operate to be able to collect, just say the curbside recyclables yeah. is very different to what is happening in, in Metro Melbourne. So yeah. I, yeah. I definitely agree on that. Um, one thing I would like to ask um, you about is the the COAG's banning of of uh, waste exports. Yeah, I, I kind of really talk about them very differently. Um, obviously, if we put that ban in place, it'll hopefully supercharge the local circular economy. Yeah. Um, but my view, my view is that we also we need the exports in place in the interim while we build the local infrastructure. So maybe just regulating that. What what's your position on? You know, if this is done well, this is the chance to give, as you said, the market development that we need. Yep. If it's not done well, it's stockpiles, right? And you know, and the reality is at present. Business as usual, which is what's happened since China, has not got us to that remanufacturing culture or that demand for product that we've needed. Yep. So it's got to be a phased implementation, um, but it's got to be a phased implementation with both money and policy behind it in the sense of we are not going to have our manufacturers just buy recycled because they can't export waste because that doesn't affect their costs. Yep. So there's got to be some requirement that they use Australian manufactured waste. Arguably, there's got to be some targets as well around the reduction of use of virgin material. And we're starting to see that overseas, that they're yep. putting those some targets in. So we're going to need stronger targets um, and penalties potentially for not doing that. Because one of the concerns I have, and I completely agree there's got to be a transition period. It all can't come in at once. Mm. Arguably, given the volumes, tyres and glass, you know, we're expecting yep. will come in sooner rather than later. But paper and plastic without the demand on shore, all the facilities cannot come in quickly. There's got to be a transition period, but there's got to be a requirement for Australian companies to use that product. Because there's no point they can continue to import recycled materials and this just stockpiles in Australia. So we have to find a way to get that policy and industry right to support us. Yeah. Do you, do you like do you kind of think too like the the MRF the the MRF side of side of the um, industry? maybe hasn't been supported well enough as well, like to try and transition through this because they're really having to juggle and, and try and adapt and make high quality commodities and things like that. Well, I, I think that's the challenge. Like material recovery facilities do not make product. They yeah. simply sort what they're given, right? So the, I think the issue in Victoria was very clearly that they, they thought that their product was worth something that the rest of Australia knew it wasn't. Yeah. No one else was paying the rebates that Victorian councils were expecting. So. Yeah. You know, um, you must have awesome product down there. That's all I can say. Yeah. But um, I think uh, what's not um, been well done and where MRFs have not been supported is to, to understand what MRFs do and yeah. the cost of doing what they do and the, the importance of what they do. They're taking product out of landfill. You know, they are, want to recycle it. And no material covering facility in the world was buying that product or taking that product to let it stockpile. They want to use it. 
the challenge is that material recovery facilities are not those that recycle that product or demand that product. So I think where Australia has failed is to understand the supply chain and, you know, APCO with its co-regulatory voluntary approach does not work. You know, the packaging on the shelves is, is so highly composite. If you walk down the supermarket shelf and you pull off a yogurt container, it's got plastic, it's got aluminium, you have to sort of separate that before it goes in the bin or yeah. else it's a contaminant. Yeah? yeah. So we keep allowing packages to put really poor packaging on the shelf and then we're blaming the MRFs. How mm. does that happen? Yeah. It's... And we're expecting councils to pay for it. And then the community quite rightly say, why are we paying for this stuff when the packages continue to churn out things like pods and you know, soft plastics and all yep. this sort of stuff. And they're going, we think it's recyclable, yeah? yeah. And then MRFs end up with it and they have to pay levies and they have to pay sorting costs. So we haven't um, well explained that part of the industry and we're responsible for that too. Um, and government have not supported the sale of that product or that on-selling. We, we blamed MRFs, which is not fair. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm in them just about every other day. And like, I see the challenges that they have. Yeah. The, like, I, I kind of frame it up all the time as they've got to deal with more high levels of contamination coming in yeah. and they've got to make a better quality uh, product yeah. on the other end. So it's kind of, you've, you've got the, the um, worst of both worlds. So they do. And, and also, you know, just because it's recyclable from the household doesn't mean it goes in the yellow bin. Yeah. Right? So there's only seven items that go in a yellow bin. Yep. You know, paper, steel, glass, aluminium, plastics, one to seven. That's it, mm. right? And it's packaging from your kitchen, bathroom, laundry. That's it. Yep. So everything else that you might think in your household that is recyclable, be it your clothes, be it your, your hangers, you know, be it your flower pots, they do not go into the yellow bin, yeah. right? They have to go back to other locations. And we have not been good at telling that story about the purpose of the yellow bin is purely for household packaging. That's it. What, what do you reckon the missing piece is there on the education? Like, what, what do you, like, is it education? Is it, what, what do you think that little missing piece is there? Because we're, we're obviously we're not good at it, right? No, and I think it comes down to whose responsibility is it? And yeah. it's a mixture between, um, you know, in a linear economy, which we can't pretend we're not. Yep. You know, we take, we make, we use, we dispose. It's not my responsibility. As someone who makes product, it's my job to get my costs down and, you know, make as much money in returns as possible. Yeah. I don't think about the impact that I'm having. and You know, I'm being a bit unfair, but I, I don't, as a um, maker of bread, think that I'm going to educate people on my packaging that I use. You know, yeah. that's just the nature of it. Um, if I'm the, the seller of it, I don't think about that. So we've allowed government to take that role. Um, as individual industry, we... we we try to educate, but we've got different people having different touch points. There needs to be, similar to what we see in the UK with the RAP UK, yep. a body such as that that has standards, guidelines and information that pumps out education campaigns nationally. Yeah. Yep. So it could be funded by the packages, the generators, and it could be rolled out by government with the whole supply chain. So we're really keen on we want something like a RAP UK yeah. that has the whole supply chain looking at all these issues consistently and nationally because we're not moving forward if we're not. Like, Do you think that's the role that, that APCO should have or do you no, think it has APCO to be independent? Continue. APCO is just is unfortunately too vested. It needs to be independent, yep. um, a trust structure, 
um, it needs to be mandated and needs to look at food waste, textiles, e-waste, all those product short chip type schemes. Yep. And it, it's not APCO, it's something completely different that it has the whole supply chain at the table. Yeah, something like we talk about this a bit, like we obviously our biggest bit of infrastructure is in the UK mm. and it makes sense there because we have the packaging recovery note. Yes, you exactly, know? And, and you pay for it. Yeah, we pay for and and but it's at a really high level at the moment. Like yeah. right now it's worth $200 a tonne. Yeah. So, completely agree. So we probably need that in Australia yeah. to help fund. Like this all takes, the thing people forget is to actually do this, it takes money, investment of infrastructure and costs. Well, so, and that's just the CDS, you know, is a good thing because it's an example of that where polluter pays and contributes to the cost of it. But we need to take it higher. We need the PRNs and the EPRNs that are in the UK because it needs to be funded not by government and community alone. They're not yep. the ones generating this. So it needs to be done by the packages. They need to demonstrate that it's genuinely recyclable. So, and we also need to have, and we've been advocating for a while, that you actually need to put a tax on virgin, right? And, yeah. and these are not things that are unique. Yep. This is happening globally. Australia just seems to not want to go that far, but we're not moving unless we do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, you're thinking about like with the tax on virgin, for example, um, last week I was speaking to someone about that and they were like, oh, our business model won't stack up if the cost of recycle ends up higher than virgin, it's just not not feasible. And, and I said to them, well, you're looking at it the wrong way because that's what the consumer wants. That's how they want to select their products. Yeah. You know, they want a sustainable product. They, yeah. want, to, they want to buy a, 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 a product in a package that can be recycled. Yeah. Um, it's made to be recycled. And, you know, so I always talk about something's only recyclable if it's made to be recycled and it's commercially viable to yeah. collect it. And it seems that that economic bit in the middle is perhaps what we are missing in Australia. Well, there is that remanufacturing is missing, but arguably we need to be having the conversation around we want to avoid creating of it, or if we're going to use it, we have it repairable or reusable, right? So if you're going to put it in packaging, make it sure that it's maybe functional, could be used again. We yeah. actually need to think completely different about how we do our packaging. And that, you know, again, Ellen McCarthy Foundation Europe, they're rushing ahead of us and we're sitting here going, soft plastics, anyone? You know, there are big issues out there that we need to accelerate forward with. Yeah. What's what's the next five years look like, do you think? Because five years, we get to this 2025 target that everyone is aspirationally wanting to, to hit. What what do you think it looks like? Like, where are 2025 rolls around, where are we? God, I hopefully I'm, I'm retired. But anyway, um, well, I'd like to think we were genuinely having a circular economy conversation, not a recycling economy conversation. Yeah. It's like, at the moment, all we're talking, what we're talking about when we talk about circular here, particularly from government, is we'll take it out of the bin and we'll make it into something else. And it's not that. It's actually saying we'll design it differently at first instance so we don't have as much going into the bin. Yeah? Yeah. And we're doing things like repair and rethink and reuse and refurbish, all those things that mm. Europe are doing. So we've actually got a very different sector focusing on different things. Um, and hopefully we'd have actually a mature sector in the sense that we're very clear that things that circulate don't come into the waste sector but then when it does, we do it well. And we're not finding people, we don't have this belief that we're trying to burn everything, right? Because we've circulated for as long as possible. It's at end of life. It's been through recycling, yep. recovery, and we're actually using energy in yep. the right place, yeah? Yep. For residuals. Yeah. But because we don't have that sort of systems approach set up and we definitely don't get circular yet in Australia, it's a bit difficult. So yep. I'd like to think in five years time, We've got very strong national circular economy policy that's yep. based upon EU principles uh, that we've adopted a whole pile of guidelines around reuse, 
um, and for packaging, yep. that we've got mandated product stewardship schemes that bring more money into the system and we just don't keep expecting councils and um, community pay for it. I'd like to think that our built environment looks significantly differently, yeah. like we build with the intent of pulling down and refurbishing and reusing and recycling that way. Mm. So I'd like to think that we've spent a lot of time as a country on design to build differently and think differently. Yeah. And, um, you know, on that, I mean, where does, um, I don't know a lot about waste energy myself. And wh where does that, where do you think that fits into everything here? Well, it, it fits in just in residuals, mm. you know, this idea that suddenly we're going to build all these waste to energy plants, we're not. We might do an awful lot of anaerobic digestion plants yep. and sort of locus scale, yep. um, part of your composting facilities, which makes really good sense, yeah? Yeah. But as for its sort of traditional thermal energy, energy for waste, I think that's got a strong role for residuals, so about 10%, 6 million tonnes maybe uh, across Australia. And generally that's going to fit in with probably C&I facilities. And yep. if you look at it, because the heat, mm. the cogen type um, facilities, that works really well with paper mills. Yep. That's why Vizzy's got three. That's why Australian Papers got one on the board. On, on the boil, it's the wrong word. One on the, the board. Um, you've got one happening potentially in Sydney as well with another with paper yep. uh, with Aora. So that's why that's that heat is useful and it plays a role. Yeah, and you can put it back in the grid. So arguably above landfill it absolutely has a role and where's like public perception on waste energy because we've we've seen a few plants get put up and not not being able to take the next step like what's what's the public perception why is why is there that missing gap there i think because we've not done a good job as an industry explaining that it's just for residual yeah and, and i also think that we haven't had a good policy landscape in australia that actually reflects the hierarchy and how we operate. We really must think around the hierarchy, you know, avoid, reuse, recycle, recover. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have as many strong policies written in a sort of structural way, but it makes it very clear that you can't burn the yeah. recyclables. And we don't want to burn the recyclables, right? So I, I think that we've got a strong educative piece to do. And um, we actually did a fact sheet at WAMO um, this year that we've launched on energy, thermal energy for waste to try and help people understand what it's all about. Because, you know, there's 2,000 of these facilities globally yeah. and they're in the heart of cities. Yes. Yet we can't seem to get our head around yep. um, the role that it can play in Australia. And, and often people focus on it's a heat thing. We don't need heat. Well, we do need heat. We need heat and gas and other things in manufacturing. Yeah. And so just for our audience, where can they go and read about that, Gail? Like visit the website, www.wmrr.asn.au. Come and have a look at what we've got on there. So yeah, the fact sheet is up there under energy for waste. And we're doing a number of fact sheets at the moment to try and help people understand our industry and what it means. Yep, um, on, an, on just a slightly different topic. So we've got lots of industry groups mm. and everyone's obviously got their, got their view on it. Like, are we seeing enough of the right discussions happening between all the industry groups, do you think? Yeah, look, I think we've got to remember that we've all got different roles. Mm. Like WAMR is the national pay because we cover all sectors and all states yep. and we also have all participants. We're the only ones that have consultants, uh, government, operators, you know, so, so it's not just for one sector. You know, Aora, Aloha, Acor, they only look after a piece. Yes. Um, and then you've got Enric, which is only private operators. So, you know, we've all got our roles to play. We, we talk a lot amongst ourselves, you know, like it, it's very rare that you see us come out with a different position on anything yeah. because we do have common members. And, yep. But it, it's, an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's not as if you could say to your members, oh, I'm not doing that, someone else is, because they wouldn't want to be a member anymore. And we might have a little bit of a different tweak on it. Yeah. So, um, you know, like it's not ideal. 
but um, you know, I think we're all doing a good job at looking after our members and looking after industry. Like Wimmer always focuses on the, the national and the industry issues. Um, you know, we've always got an eye on the prize. So like um, South Australia with its single use elimination of yep. materials. Uh, I'm on that and I'm looking at it from an SA point of view, but also a national point of view. Yeah. So it's really important that we have that national um, yep. view because, you know, if that's really good, we should roll it out nationally. And we've got to make sure if to get rolled out nationally, we understand the dynamics in all the other states. Yeah. So we play that really important role in WAMA. And we also get the ability to look across industry and go, I'm not just advocating for one piece because there'll be unintended consequences over there. So, so we're not myopic in our thinking. You know, we really always try and take the industry approach yes. to, to better the industry, yep. not just the one piece. Yeah, I mean, that's what I like about what you do because you, you do have members who um, play in a few different spaces within the entire kind yeah. of industry. So yeah. um, you guys have got the awards night coming up soon, yes. which I've seen on socials. Yeah. Um, how, how many how many awards uh, this year? We've got eleven this year. Eleven. So what, what are they? Uh, we've got everything from Leader of the Year, uh, Woman of Waste of the Year. Okay. So it's the first time we've done that. Uh, projects re regional uh, and metropolitan, community yeah. engagement of the year. So um, project of the year. So we've got some awesome. We had nearly ninety applications. Oh wow! Some of them were really competitive. The one that I did had eighteen applications. That was three hours of my life I won't get back. But. <laughs> I was so excited when I read so many of them because they were just so good. So I can't actually wait after the awards yep. to um, through our website and other ways of getting out some of those awesome case studies because too much we hear about the negative, you know. Yeah. And there's just so many amazing stories of just positive action by industry yep. that is just not getting out there. Yeah, I mean, that's what I see every day. Like when we're out on site, you see even if, if it's a small change that someone's making, and it has a big impact in the community, especially yeah. like I see it a lot in regional areas where people are just willing to try new things, do things different. So yeah. to have an awards night like you guys put on and acknowledge all of them yeah. is, is awesome. Oh, I can't wait. And, you know, I don't think anyone stays in this industry is not passionate about it. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I kind of have a, a six months rule. If you last six months, you're not going, you know, because yeah. it just gets in your blood. And there's just so many passionate people doing so many good things. Yeah. And it's just, it's a chance to celebrate all of that and, and raise awareness about what they're doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing about waste that I love, um, you know, especially now that we talk more about community engagement and the capacity, the community connectivity that some of these projects <coughs> have demonstrated. Because um, when I was at councils, I was working with Frank Sartor and he used to talk about the fact that we collect things to get clean streets, right? And you have clean streets because clean streets are also relevant and graffiti removal to sense of safety and sense of pride. Mm. So the cleaner your streets, the closer you feel, more connected you feel with your community and often the perception of crime and safety, crime goes down and safety goes up. So we actually have so much that we can do with the social fabric by creating these awesome canvases and then also projects around my other little passion at the moment are things like men's sheds with um, transfer stations and repair shops yeah. because you bring the guys out of retirement and they get to repair and you build this com community connectedness and sort of social belonging that, you know, it's just such a positive thing. So industry is so much more than just picking up garbage. I love the men's shed thing because like one of the things I talk about is when we shut the car industry in Australia, when we shut manufacturing, we lose all those like skills. Yeah. And in my previous life, before I jumped into, into, into Vandom with my brother and John, I was a builder, yeah. And so I often talk, I often think about you know, you've got hands-on people in their sixties and seventies who may yeah. have retired, and are looking for something to do. And when you go to that whole repair reuse, yeah, like that's that's just giving people another 
and you know something else to be doing that's meaningful and has yeah. purpose i just i cannot get up the repair cafes i love the bauer cafe in north sydney there's an awesome network two of my favorite little social media groupies are the repair cafe down in melbourne they're always oh, yeah. on our feed and and that's exactly what they do and this is it's an awesome thing for councils for me, particularly regional and rural, because maybe it's easier with the land. Yep. But And I saw it around the re-rock area. So you've got the transfer stations, you've got the tip shops, you've got the men's sheds and the repair cafe. You've even got the op shops and the seamstresses. So you've actually got this sense of belonging and also a repair culture, a rethink culture that's so different to the traditional just disposal culture. Yeah. And it's so powerful. Well, like, um, you know, my wife, Narelle, she has a, a little business called Vintage Rally, right? Yeah. So she sources uncut vintage sewing patterns and she resells them online. And wow. I remember when she told me that that's the little business she wanted to start, I thought, who's gonna like, do people really buy them? And she sent them to Finland, to yeah. the Middle East. Everything to, old is new again. To America. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, there, there are patterns there where she'll show me a secondhand pattern that's worth over a hundred dollars. So it is getting into that whole repurpose, reuse. Yeah. Like it's, it's and such... that's the future of our industry, yeah? yeah. It's the future of our community. Yeah. Uh, and is it engaging around that? And, and it's good that we're having the conversation around single use and plastics, you yeah. know? But the, the whole, the real thing around that is single use is bad. Anything that you're not reusing is not good because essentially all you're doing is creating waste. So our goal has got to be to move away from waste because I'm so determined that people understand we're managing resources and we're resource managers. We're not waste managers. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I, I think we'll finish on that. Um, Perfect. So thanks for your time, Gail. Really, really appreciate it. I know you're super busy. So guys, don't forget, subscribe, turn notifications on, think beginning, not end. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this chat. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed that chat with Gail Sloan, the CEO of the Australian Waste Resource Recovery Association of Australia. And don't forget you can follow me over on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. 